Welcome to Facilitating Voices, an outlet podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Haley Crow. On this show, we discuss difficult topics surrounding mental health, social justice issues, equity, and more. Some weeks, we listen to social workers, community members, or other passionate human service providers, and other weeks, you might hear someone's personal story about their journey to healing. Ahead of today's episode, we'll be speaking with Reed Berryman. Today is a personal story, and as always, I want to highlight the strength and resiliency of folks who decide to come and share their story in hopes to, in hopes to make others feel less alone. Reed just had his five-year sober anniversary on August 2nd, and honestly, I wrote this one thinking about his brother. Snaps for that. <laughs> Addiction is one of the hardest things to overcome, and five years is an amazing feat. Today, we'll dive into Reed's recovery journey, what helped him to become sober and stay sober, and some support for others who may be struggling with or recovering from addiction. So, Reed, thanks for being here today. You know, I have a special place in my heart for you and just for folks who come on and ask to share their story. Thanks for having me. So, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, just to kind of get the full picture? Um, I'm 33. Uh, grew up in Geek Harbor, brother and sister, you know, um, van at least. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty normal childhood. Um, played lots of sports, ran around outside. Um, and as far as the, the use... Um, I was kind of a late bloomer in that sense. I didn't, I tried smoking weed a couple times, like freshman, sophomore year, and I didn't really, I didn't get high. I was like one of those, and I was like, this is whack, so I didn't do it again for a while. Um, And then I tried it again, like junior year, and got high, and I was like, oh, I kind of understand this now, but also, like, it's not that cool. Um, And didn't really do anything until senior year and then I drank and again it was pretty similar it was like well you know that was exactly what I thought it'd be and I wasn't super impressed but uh when I was a sophomore I had a bunch of surgeries and this is where I feel is like becoming more and more common I actually feel like it's pretty uh pretty well known now where I had a bunch of surgeries and I kept getting Vicodin and so I would take them like I was supposed to because I was like 15 I'm pretty sure my parents doled them out for a while as mm-hmm. opposed to just me having access and um eventually I had them for so long because I think it was like nine months like I I've I've always said like I had like an infinite symbol on my script that's not true because they can't do that but <laughs> it might as well have been yeah um and eventually they would just leave me with the bottle because I like started getting like stir crazy because I didn't really leave my house because I couldn't but then when I started like being able to like go around my friends and shit again um I would just take my bottle with me and like they liked them too and we weren't like getting crazy abusing them but it was just like hey take a couple vikes and like counter-strike will be like so sick this time Mm -hmm. um and uh so yeah it was like stuff like that and then i want to say like towards the end when i was going back in to have more surgeries uh i was like pretty used to taking them and like I remember I would say things and like very innocently, like very naive and unaware where I was like, I, I'm still in a lot of pain when I'm taking them. And they were like, oh, well, then take one more than you normally do. And I was like, OK, you know, and then that kind of worked. But then I was like, huh, why does that work? And so it got to the point where I wouldn't take them like all day. And then I would take like seven. And I was like, holy shit, mm-hmm. like I am 
so high. But I didn't know I was high, you know? Right. I was just like, well, I feel really good. This is tight. And I think that is where, like, the the kind of reptilian addict brain was born. Because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I think it can be hereditary. I don't think it was in my case. Um, but... Like, I just, I vividly remember that being like, this is the best I've ever felt by far. And it was because I took more than I should have. And like, in retrospect, it was like, it's because I abused it. Um, And then I remember when, when I got off of those, I got really sick because I was on them for about a year. And uh, I was talking to my friend's mom who had cancer. And I was like, I feel like I've had the flu for like a week. And she was like, well, didn't you just stop taking all your pain medication? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, you're withdrawing. And I was like, what is that? Mm. And she was like, you know, it's because your body's used to it. Now it's not anymore. And I was like, huh. And I remember being like, well, that's shitty. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with that again. And uh, so I didn't honestly, like after that, after I got off him, after all my surgeries, and didn't have to have surgeries anymore. I was like pretty chill for like five or six years. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of started going back down the rabbit hole, started using them like recreationally and then eighties Oxycontin hit. Yep. And it was like, literally like I, not everyone I knew, but like the girl I was dating at the time was randomly like, Oh, by the way, I sell these, but I don't do them. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, I've, you know, we've been dating for like six months. I had no idea. And then I had friends coming back from college were like, have you tried OCs? And I was like, no, but I like, she sells them and like all these people come by and then I kind of found out, like, I tried it, obviously, because I was never, like, afraid of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more just, like, rational about it, I guess. But then when I, because I knew it was 80 milligrams. And I was like, that's insane. What do you do with that? I can't take that. I don't know what happen, What will happen if I take that. That's way too much, you know. That's, like, an OD. That's what I thought. I don't know if that's true. Um, and, but then, like, you know, people started showing me, like, how they do it. And I was just like, oh, shit. You know, and then I tried it and I was like, this is way better than Vicodin. And then, you know, nine years later, I'm very alone and doing heroin. So that was essentially the progression of that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I didn't know, you know, what was your introduction and I'm not surprised mm. that that is what it is. And even just thinking back, you know, you mentioned Oxy 80s. I remember doing Oxy 80s for the first time when I was 13. I had no, no effing idea what they were. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what you're just speaking to is being introduced to them in a medically okay way, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, and, and that progression. Um, so fast forward to, you know, then you're doing heroin. Can you talk kind of about how that ended up and what that was like? Yeah, um, it was, I avoided it for a really long time because I thought it was like, I, you, I'm using air quotes, gross. <laughs> um and I, I like, it was just like, kind of like one of those, because I, you know, eighties went away. They got rid of them. Thank God. Not that that, you know, the damage was done in my mind. Um, and, uh, they, you know, then it was like, it was just thirties. So I just did that for a long time. And then it was, um, you know, like I was just like, didn't have enough money one time. And the dude, I normally was like to just like everyone, but you does it. Like, mm-hmm. just do it. And I was like, okay. And then that was that. But, uh, so yeah. And then I, um, yeah, it just, uh, I, I was like a very, uh, like isolating user. Like I wasn't like partying. 
with it. I mean, I would if the opportunity arose, but especially towards the end, and I'd say I did that for about four years, um, maybe five. Uh, it, like, I, I was doing it to not feel like shit, and I did not want to be around people. Like, that, that sounded like a nightmare to me because there's the opportunity of someone noticing, there's the opportunity of someone wanting some, having to share, somehow getting roped into some, like, silly shit you know Mm -hmm. um and i wasn't about that like i just wanted to like not feel and that was like essentially why i got high especially once you're addicted because then withdrawals are just Mm -hmm. you know everyone knows that not everyone everyone who's used knows that roller coaster Mm -hmm. like once you go through withdrawal that's all she wrote like can you talk a little bit about withdrawals for some from heroin or from opiates for someone that might not know yeah um it's just uh it's like i mean it's different for everyone it's like a i do like, you know, I think it's, like, physiologically different for everyone. I, I mean, this is, like, kind of gross, but, like, I was never, like, a puker, like, or, like, diarrhea. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me, luckily. I've seen a lot of people go through that part of it. I was more, like, you know, and, again, this is, like, so common, but, like, you just, your bones feel like they're not yours. And they're, like, someone's making them painful. But it's, it's just, you, you can't sleep, you twitch, your bones hurt. You do not sleep. That is that was always the worst part to me because you're you're so sore for no reason all the time. Where like, I I kept feeling like my muscles would atrophy. Where like if I didn't move them constantly, almost like a like a twitch mm-hmm. that they were gonna get stuck like that, which is insane. That's not possible. Mm-hmm. But that's what it felt like. Um, and honestly, like one thing uh, is that you like mentally are just like a sh- you're a shadow person. You're just not yourself at all. You have no idea how you feel, think anything about like anything that goes on around you. Like it's all so warped through this lens of like, will this get you high? If not, disregard it. Mm-hmm. And that's all that matters. But then you would like go through these ups and downs of like where you're like in the shit and you're like, this is I'm like a garbage person and I don't want to be here and like you know, like, horrible depression and shit, like, um, I've always kind of said, like, I've never felt suicidal, where I was like, oh, I could do that, but, like, there was definitely numerous times when I was withdrawing where I was like, I get why people do, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, like, to Mm -hmm. me, it was, like, a courage thing, I was like, I don't, that's not a courage that I obtain, but I see how people can. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrific, um, I've clearly never been through it, but I've watched people go through it and it's just it's I mean it's horrible even just to watch someone go through it Mm -hmm. so I can't I literally can't imagine what it's like to go through it and the pain just that you're feeling and you know your talk about depression and all these things where you know potentially if it if it wasn't hereditary that really are kind of solely based on the drug yes and I I think that's uh that's actually one thing I was like hoping we would get to talk about is when I kind of realized I had a problem, like three years in, I mean, I knew I had a problem, but when I started t- saying that I had a problem, like where like my family now knows like what is up, like you're, you know, digressing like rapidly as a person, you know, like mm-hmm. you suck to be around, like shit like that. They didn't say that, but you know, yeah, that was, I mean, I'm sure it was said at times, but um, the, when I started trying to do things about it, like I did, uh, I detoxed a couple times in like a medical detox facility. And I remember that was like a big step for me. Cause I was like, Oh, you like, you know, you have a problem and like, you want to stop. So now you're doing something about it. But I remember even throughout all of it, it was like, uh, it was like, I, uh, <laughs> um, I don't care if this works. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just doing this because it's, 
I, I don't want to feel like that anymore. If I'm going to have to go through withdrawal and detox, I want to do it in like a medical environment where I can be like more safe and hopefully, honestly, like medicated and right. subdued so I don't have to feel it as much. And I honestly think in retrospect, I was doing it as tolerance resets, like just so I could get my tolerance back down so I could go do whatever again for cheaper, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So when you went into treatments, they mm-hmm. weren't, you were just going back out? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's honestly hard to remember because that was like the first thing I ever did. So that was like eight years ago. Um, I did it a few times. Um, and the third time I was like, this is getting old. Like, what are we doing? Why do we keep doing this? And, uh, I, um, I just feel like I bumped something. Hold on. I was, uh, I don't remember like the last, <laughs> that's last okay. Minute. But yeah, no, I was talking about detox. Oh yeah. So the third time I went to detox, I was like, what are we really doing here? And, um, also the detoxes I was going to was the RCKC that I, I did it at, uh, Fairfax as well, which mm-hmm. is the mental institution in Kirkland mental hospital, I should say. Um, and that one was a lot more legitimate, I would say. Um, but I went to RCKC the third time, which is the, or KCRC, the King County Recovery Center. Okay. And that was like, it's like that was worse than being in jail, which I've also experienced. Um, but because it was just so, I mean, like the food was worse, the rooms were worse, the people were worse. It was really wild to me that that place existed. Um, and when I left there, I went into the Suboxone research study and they're like hey I'd never heard of Suboxone they told me all about it there like a doctor did and I was like sick let's do that and I was that worked for me like I was I'm using air quotes again sober for six months um or clean I should say I'm confident I drank during that time um but I would also get high from the Suboxone like just a little and I was like this is okay Mm because the doctor's giving it to me but like it wasn't that's not how that works I know that now Mm -hmm. um but, uh, and that was the, the worst withdrawals I've ever had. It was, I mean, heroin withdrawals are three to five days, depending on how far in you are and, you know, kind of like how you go about it. I think you can be proactive in it and lessen it. Um, but Suboxone was four straight weeks of like the worst withdrawals I've wow. ever had. And there was points where I was like, you know, like I, I, I genuinely think my subconscious blocked a lot of it out because when I think about it, I remember the first three days and the last two days Hmm. and the last two days like it was just like i don't know it was like breaking through a wall like i felt completely normal one morning i woke up and i like didn't feel the way i'd felt previously which is quite possibly the worst i've ever felt and it was like instant like i literally woke up and i was like oh my god it's done like i just knew like you could just feel it in your entire body and your mind to be honest like your capacity to do things and like feel and like rationalize and you Mm -hmm. know so, um, yes. And then I don't know, I probably went back out for like another year and a half. And then, uh, at that point it was like pretty open in my family. So like, I was like, I would talk to them about options. Like, what can I do? What should I do? Um, and I heard about Vivitrol cause I told them like, it's really hard for me to not use because I'm like, if I'm alone and shit, like I'm, I'm an addict. It's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I had a really hard time with that, with like, uh, stagnance. Like even if I was doing the right things, had a job, 
doing all that shit. I, I like I knew in my heart, like I was just biding time. I was like, you don't mm-hmm. care about this. You just want to go get high again. Um, so I tried Vivitrol and that also same thing with Suboxone. I think I kind of just started drinking more, which they say you're not. They I guess they use it for alcoholism, too, which is I don't know. I worked. I could get drunk just fine on it. Um, and uh, yeah. And then. It was just kind of, that was like a three or four year cycle, like trying something new, it not working, trying something again, it not working, like detox to Suboxone to Vivitrol. And with Vivitrol, um, I will say that they did have like an excellent program for it where I could only get my prescription if I was attending two meetings a week with a Vivitrol group of other people who were on it, like with a uh, chemical dependency counselor, which I thought was like, damn, these people are serious, like... Maybe they give a shit because mm-hmm. I also like I'm a big hater of big pharma and them peddling OCs to anyone who wanted them for 10 years. Um, and uh, yeah, and then um, I from there, I pretty much I had a friend hit me up and he was like, are you still out? And I was like, yeah, which like I'm, am I out like using like mm-hmm. running and, you know, gunning air quotes again. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah. And he was like, well if you want to be done, you should come up here to Kirkland and try Oxford. And I was like, what the fuck is Oxford? Mm-hmm. Like I was like already annoyed. Um, cause it's just a new thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was like, it's sober living. And I was like, dude, I, I'm not gonna live in a halfway house. Yeah. You know, like, I was a huge judgmental hater for absolutely no reason about it. And he was like, dude, I'm telling you it's cooler than you think. And something happened with, uh, my family, I don't remember what I did. I just remember they were like, you're, you're done. Like you're, you know, you, you can't live here. Like it's over for you as far as like our assistance. And I was like, wait, what if I do this? Mm-hmm. And they were like, we will help you with that. But like, don't other than that, it's over for you. And I was like, okay. So I went up there that night and uh, you had to interview and stuff. And I got in because I had a friend there who said I was doing the right things, which I wasn't. I remember we lied to get me in there. We were like, oh, yeah, he was like 10 days sober. And I was like, no, I got high that morning, mm-hmm. um, and, which I don't feel good about now. But it also is why I got sober. So whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, did that. Relapsed again after six months. Went on like another six-week run. Um, moved back in for 30 days. Came back to their house wasted. Got kicked out again. So twice, I, I like to say I did three tours in Oxford. Um, and the third time, I don't know what happened. So like, this is like how I got sober as of today, like what I'm going to tell you. So <laughs> I was living with three college kids on Lake City Way in Seattle and one of them and a professor and <laughs> okay. um, or like a, like a, some like quasi professor where he would like just give lectures at UW. But like one of the girls that lived there, like, had had him as like a lecturist i i don't know um and i was like all right whatever and i'm literally in like this like shanty of a cement basement room like they were like sure like (laughs) you can go you can go stay in the corner and i was like sick and i'm like you know four or five years older than all these people except for this weird lecturist i I still don't know (laughs) what he did (laughs) yeah anyways he was a trip they were all weird um but uh and I like stopped going to work and shit. And uh, another big part of it for me was like, it got to the point where like um, the, I, I 
found out like and, and I'm not gonna get into like all my my like using stories um, but I found out really early that I have like a allergy to alcohol where like mm-hmm. I like black out and it's not intentional and it's not every time but what if I don't know what if if I hit a certain level and I'd only eaten a certain amount I would just check out but I also whenever I drank like I never stopped drinking like if I started drinking I was never like oh, I'm gonna have five beers I was like I'm gonna drink until I go to sleep and just hope I don't black out mm-hmm. and I you know that worked for like three or four years like I said when I was like things were pretty calm from like 17 to 21 or 22 um but uh I never got arrested for drugs I got arrested to, to, I know, 10 or 12 times because of alcohol wow so like alcohol is what would keep me like down in that sense and I think that's another like that was like a big like self-worth thing was like being in the system I got out of the system in January wow and I had been in it since I was 17 and when I say the system I mean like I'm on probation or like the courts are sending me letters Mm -hmm. saying like keep your nose clean or you're going to jail Mm -hmm. and that included like multiple DUIs tons of minor impossessions like just a bunch of stupid shit um and I got a lot. I got away with a lot of things that I shouldn't have too, like in court because like something wasn't filed correctly or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. Like, um, but uh, the um, yeah, the drinking uh, towards the end. I remember uh, that I uh, would like tell people this. Like, I I was drinking in like a desperate attempt. Like, I was blackout binge drinking which I'd never done before like those last six months of me using in like a desperate attempt to not do heroin mm. I like somehow convinced myself mm-hmm. in like my insane addict brain that like if you stay drunk enough you won't be able to get high mm-hmm. like you'll know you shouldn't or something which mm-hmm. is insane like none of I this mean, makes sense <laughs> I could I can kind of you know see makes sense like I would be like oh if I'm like too fucked up to like do anything how am I gonna go meet dude mm-hmm. you know so yeah. like let's do that but I'm also working. Like, I was, like, waking up at 6, chugging box wine at a bus stop, taking a bus to work, chugging box wine at lunch. And this is, like, not, like, a McDonald's, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, like, a, uh, like a, an established business. Um, and, uh, yeah, I... Anyways, I was in this, like, that's what I'm doing at this point. I'm just drinking all day, every day. And then, like, the last four weeks... Um, I started using again and in this little like weird shanty bedroom with all these UW students. With the professor yes, person. Uh, with the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hybrid lecturist. I have no idea. I don't even know if lecturist is a word. Um, but yeah, and I was drinking a lot of milkshakes, like just making outrageous fucking milkshakes. Like I'm talking like half a gallon ice cream because like, they had a blender, dude, because I'm all fucked up all the time. Um, and I remember I... I was like so high that I kicked my milkshake over and like the glass exploded and it was like my only milkshake glass and I literally just remember looking at the wall and seeing like my like frosty full untouched didn't even get a sit milkshake like all over the concrete and I was like fuck this like this is not it like I'm not doing this anymore and then I like realized where I was I was like in this like awful like and I'm like their rooms were normal Mm-hmm. Like, they had bedrooms, and I was, like, somebody walled off a corner of a garage and, like, put a door on it because um, it was, like, the cheapest thing I could find. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but 
I like I realized I was like I'm gonna do something drastic and I don't know I don't remember if I knew or not because again I was like very like high and drunk but um I remember I walked to Fred Meyer I got a fifth of whiskey and I was chugging it and I started calling my family members one by one which is shitty and awful and outrageous thing to do because I was wasted and telling them sorry like, I, don't, I, I still don't know why I did that, but that was what I did. And then um, that night, I, like, I think I, like, like, picked up one more time and got, like, really high. And then I don't remember exactly what happened. I, like, maybe should have asked before this. But, um, <laughs> my, like, I think I called my dad. I don't remember. I, or I texted him or something. But he showed up at my house at 7 in the morning and was like, you called me and told me you're going to treatment. And I'm here, so you're going to treatment. And I was like, I promise you I didn't say that. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not asking. Welcome to Redux, a podcast about music by a music lover for music lovers. I'm Van Berryman, math teacher by trade, podcaster by hobby, former radio host and production coordinator and avid music lover. Step into Redux for deep looks into album reviews with a concise but thorough comparison of an artist's first album to their most recent and their journey to get there. Plus, top 10 lists, best ofs, and other musical inputs to get you through the day. If you like what you hear, drop a follow on Instagram at Redux Podcast and feel free to let me know there what reviews you want to hear. Come along on this journey with me, sit back, and enjoy the ride. But I had called Lakeside Milam in Kirkland, which is like a very common um, inpatient. I've never done inpatient. I did a lot of uh, court-appointed out- outpatient. I mm-hmm. think I've done like six years worth from my, like my MIPs and DUIs and stuff. And I always thought it was a joke. Like I, I got high and drunk the entire time because I would either use like fake piss or flush my system or use other people's pee or just lie. And it somehow always worked. I have no idea how. Um, but I never got caught. And I never stopped using. Um, and because to me, and I, I couldn't tell you why, this is like just me and my experience, like going to treatment, inpatient treatment was like, dude, you're like an addict. Mm-hmm. Like you were like an unsalvageable junkie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, that's like coarse language from like one addict to another, you know? Like I, I think that's like a judgmental, like to say junkie, it's like, you know, it's just like a, it's like a cheap word to use. Like mm-hmm. you're an addict. Like now I think of them as like addicts or recovering addicts. Mm-hmm. And not like, oh, you're like, look you at know. that tweaker. Look exactly. At that exactly. Yeah. I hate that shit. Yeah. Like stoner. I, it's like, dude, who fucking cares? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like they're, they're in active addiction. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. And it's awful. I can promise you, mm-hmm. you know, um, or they're not. And like praise them every day. Right. Like, and like, don't run your mouth, you know, cause mm-hmm. like you don't know how hard it is unless you do. And if you do, why are you saying this shit? Right. Um, but I went to inpatient at Lakeside for 30 days and I've like thought about this a lot and I've talked about it a lot. Um, I, for me, what I really think it was, cause I've been sober ever since. Like I, I checked in on August 2nd, 2016 to Lakeside. Um, which is something I swore I'd never do. I swore I'd never go to inpatient cause to me that was like an admission of like being like a quote unquote junkie. Um, which I like, I don't know if I had like some like superiority complex. I was like, oh, I'm not like a real addict. Like, right. I'm not like that kind of addict because like, and sorry, go ahead. I just, um, 
my brother used to always get mad at me and say, oh, you know, you think you're, you're not that bad. You're not a, you know, you think you're blah, blah, blah. I'm doing all these drugs. And I did. It was, I was like, you're a, I, you're a junkie. I'm yeah. not a junkie. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, well, uh, I guess I was a, an addict. Yeah. But so. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's like the thing, I mean, I mean, like the thing with that is like, to me it is what comes in is like. Are you abiding by um, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or CA, Cocaine Addicts Anonymous? I honestly don't know what it stands for. Um, I just know it exists. There's a lot of A's out there. A lot of A's. Yeah. Um, And, like, to me, like, there's only, like, uh, Alcoholics and Narcotics are, like, to me, all-encompassing. I think additional a's are just ways to tweak the system that's already in place mm-hmm. um and like just kind of maybe better suited to certain things like sex addicts um uh like food addiction mm-hmm. um and which to me i think is like sugar addiction mm-hmm. um which is very real um yes. so one thing when i was at Milan, they wouldn't allow sugar because i mean like i a lot of people hate on Milan. um I obviously know a ton of addicts and a ton of recovering addicts. Like, everyone hates on Milam. Um, But, like, if you're not, like, kind of, like, a pessimistic asshole about it because you don't want to be there, like, no one does, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, but and you're, like, listening, which I'm shocked that I'm not one of those people that was, like, being a hater for the sake of hating because it's fun and easy. Um, It was, like, very well done and legitimate or I probably wouldn't be sober. You know what I mean? Like, it had amazing things about it. Like, uh, when I was there, like, they broke down a lot of, like, the like the scientific, like, mental, medical aspects of it. Where they were like, no, dude. Like, you're not, like, you're not weak-willed. You're not, like, weak-minded. Like, you know, like, the, a lot of the stigma towards addiction is, like, if you want to stop bad enough, you would. Mm-hmm. It's like, that, that like sends me into orbit like I, I won't even interact with someone who says x it's like you're so fucking ignorant about this that you're not worth talking to mm-hmm. um i mean that's not very you know useful or efficient like i should just chill out and talk to those people like a normal person but it's just like it bothers me so much because mm-hmm. it's just so presumptuous um but they're like you, your brain's different than everyone else's whether that was learned or like passed down to you like hereditary or you know you just did enough damage through use that like you're you know the switch is now flipped so like i mean i'm I'm sure you know but like i think like the easiest way that i explain it to people who like don't know and are like genuinely like open-minded and curious is i'm like um when you have a negative fallout from use like your brain and your body says like oh we don't want that to happen again because that was awful so like let's make sure it doesn't Mm -hmm. and mine's like you know fuck that like let's keep going so we don't have to think about that Mm -hmm. you know like I don't have like learned like negative reactions from my poor choices it's like well we we don't we can't tolerate feeling like that so keep going Mm -hmm. keep getting like get higher get drunker for longer better like, so you never have to feel like the kind of like the, like take responsibility for your actions. Like, so there's never any accountability, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's your brain doing that to you. Like other people's brains, like I said, will say, Hey man, like, let's, let's mull that one over. How can we avoid this in the future? Don't drink this much. Don't drink under these circumstances. Don't use this drug. Don't, 
you know, just be more like safe and aware and like responsible about it. And like, you know, mine as an addict, I can only speak for my own, but I've heard this from a lot of people. It's like, uh, like what else is there? Mm-hmm. Like, let's take that further, but let's not get caught this time or let's not get arrested this time or like, let's not pass out too early this time or whatever it may be, you know? Um, but, uh, and they broke down a lot of that for me, which I'd never heard. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's not like, I'm not like a coward. I like can't like mm-hmm. this is really hard for me like this is hard for other people too and like other people don't have to deal with this because it's not possible for them to have to deal with this like they're not addicts mm-hmm. you know and I but again I do think you can become one like I, I don't know that I had it in my genes like some people do like you know like that little switch that on off switch um, like some people are born and theirs is broken mm-hmm. you know and it stays that way or even trauma is like another thing that flips that switch on yeah and like you know i can't imagine finding out the hard way where like you're just like chilling for however many years and then it's like you know like like you said like maybe like trauma happens and you're like well fuck that i Mm -hmm. can't feel that and then you use or you you know self-medicate with something that you maybe shouldn't and then like instantly you're Mm -hmm. just off like i know you know i know a lot of people that's happened too um but, uh, like, back to Lakeside, like, you, we weren't allowed to have any sugar because it, it affects that same part of, like, the... Same know, receptors. Yeah, pleasure reward center. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, like, like, we're not supposed to have this, but, like, we have a little, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, like, again, just, like, bullshit addict rationale, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's just a little taste. <laughs> um, but, and uh, I think, like, caring counselors, like, I got dragged out of bed and I was pissed, you know? Like, I'm, like... 28 year old man and I was ready to like because you're like fucked up and you're like mm-hmm. medicated and you're withdrawing like I was like not hesitating about like getting buck with anyone who was trying to make me do anything mm-hmm. you know because like I'm withdrawing and it's a nightmare and I don't want to go to group you know I don't want to go talk about my feelings dude like I want to like get the fuck out of here and get high mm-hmm. you know um but they would and they would like they did it in like to me like unique and like useful ways where like everyone who wasn't withdrawing would like literally like crowd around my hospital bed that I was in and be like, get up. Hmm. Like we all did this too. Like mm-hmm. you're not different. You're not special. Mm-hmm. Like get up. Mm. And like, I, I remember being like, I can't, <laughs> you know, like, I'm too weak. Like you guys don't know what it's like, but they already did it. They do. Like I knew I was lying. Like they were mm-hmm. not the right audience to try and like bullshit, you know? Um, and so I would. And then I was like, no, it's not that bad, you know? And I was, again, like, I was so pessimistic, such a hater for, like, the first, like, 10 days. I was there for 28 or whatever. Um, And, uh, yeah, and then another big part of it was, like, you know, we would also, like, you were in a group of, like, six or seven, but there's also everybody who's there, you know, everybody else. I don't know how many groups there were, but, like, they kept men and women separated, which I also think is good, Um, until we would do, like, entire things. Like, I mean, like... In all honesty, it's like a, a summer camp, you mm-hmm. know, except that there's a lot of useful information if you're willing to hear it and they can like give you some useful tools and hopefully get you in touch with the right kind of people. They also took you to meetings three times a week, mm-hmm. which I think is like really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is like five years ago, you know, so I don't, I don't know if everything's still done the exact same. I've heard it's changed and stuff and I don't know if I like hit this sweet spot of like Milam's existence. Mm-hmm. Um but it was like, you know, uh, one of the really, really big like game changes for me was seeing like f- 
like you know no offense if like this is one like someone who's listening or whatever but like 45 50 55 60 year old people who are like this is my 13th time in inpatient Mm -hmm. and they're saying the exact same shit i'm saying in my head Mm -hmm. and i was like no like that cannot be me like that really 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 messed with me like drove it home for me where i was just like dude what Mm -hmm. like that's exactly what i think and you're here for your 13th time and you're like 50 Mm -hmm. like that cannot be me Mm -hmm. i don't want that life you know and it wasn't like because you're lesser than or you're bad it's just like you're you clearly it hasn't landed like it it hasn't registered yet like you don't get it you're not making the changes you need to change Mm -hmm. to like stop coming back here for your 14th 15th 16th time and there was a lot of those people like that in there some of them were my age and they're like oh i've been to 15 different inpatients and like i've even done like the 100k ones down in california where you're like on a beach with paxson um i can't that dude who does the commercials i can't remember his name such a clown um but uh and they were like, and it just doesn't work because like, I, that, like another thing I say about my recovery a lot is I think I'm like extremely lucky. Like I know I am and I think about it constantly. And I think that's one reason I've stayed sober for me because mm-hmm. everyone's different. But I, I, I think there's some like steadfast staples that work as far as getting sober. Um, one of them being AA. Um, but uh Everyone's different. Everyone's got to find their own reasons. One thing that I know to be absolutely true is no one's going to get somebody else sober. It's impossible. It will never happen. Um, it's never happened. It's never going to happen. Um, I think about that a lot because I know, like, initially I went in, it was not for me. I mean, maybe it was, like, really deep down, like, subconsciously. But, I mean, like, I remember thinking a lot, like, I can't keep doing this to my family. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, a pretty prominent thought for like my first like six months of sobriety like if i would want to use i'd be like do not do this to them Mm -hmm. it wasn't like don't do this to yourself i I honestly didn't think that i was like don't do this to them Mm -hmm. like you said you went to inpatient like we already broke our own rule we're Mm -hmm. never gonna go to inpatient so now you like can't fuck this off um and like if that's like wrong or bad or whatever like i i I don't in retrospect i don't give a shit because Mm -hmm. i'm sober and i still am um and uh it and and like my girlfriend at the time i was like don't do this to her because she saw a couple relapses um and she like stuck through it all which is insane um like anyone who can do that is like it's a real slippery slope um but yeah like i just something about impatient and like um they also did meditation which i'd never done like every day and i remember I was only like fifth or sixth day. So I was still going through withdrawal pretty hard. And like those like 15 minutes I meditated, it was like a guided visualization meditation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like for those 15 minutes, dude, I was not withdrawing. What is that? Mm -hmm. Can we meditate the whole time? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? Let's do more of that. But they didn't, obviously, Um, because you have to like eat and they have to like teach you things. (laughs) Um, But I would have been about that. but that really fucked with me too where i was like what the fuck is that like you know i wasn't i I just didn't know anything about it i wasn't Mm -hmm. like meditation's bullshit you know i just didn't know anything i never tried it i was like oh i know that's something like yogis do but like i can't do that Mm -hmm. you know um 
And uh, so that was like another thing that like really, really helped and changed things for me because I kept doing it every day. I would do it once a day and I was like, this is so crazy. And I remember like the first three, I was like, I think I got high. Mm. Like, because it was like that, like, like, you know, like kind of like coming out of like, not coming out of it. Cause it's literally like, <laughs> like 10 or 15, just like heinous addicts in a room to like stink and like it's just like just shitty people by like society standards like meditating in this <laughs> weird little room in an inpatient treatment center um but like i like in those 15 minutes i was meditating that is not where i was and that is not what was mm-hmm. happening and it was amazing and i would come out of it and i'd be like i would always have this sense of like oh it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. which is like especially for an addict like unheard of mm-hmm. like like solace like mm-hmm. the the prospect of like some kind of solution like even if it's temporary like i said like those 15 minutes you're like whoa like it's just that that was another thing that like blew my mind and um letters getting letters from my family they make your family write you letters um they don't make you (laughs) they can't make anyone do anything they ask them to and they heavily suggest it and um you also like and i think this is all pretty stereotypical um of treatment centers like you have to write a letter to yourself you have to write a letter to your addiction um both like you know it's like uh you know like this is why you know like mm-hmm. i i don't remember to be i have it somewhere because um, <laughs> it was like important to me i was like damn that made me feel like hella stupid <laughs> like mm-hmm. i don't want to feel like that again and i don't think that was their goal but that was you know the takeaway i got from it um but and again like these are all just things like I, i'm kind of talking about all this in the sense of like if you're hesitant or if you think it's whack or you know someone who might feel like that you know like just again you can't make someone have an open mind and i certainly didn't when i went in and i can't guarantee that it would be a the same experience you know but like i was shocked by inpatient i was like really shocked i was like holy shit and i knew people who did it Mm-hmm. And they all, and they all, they were like, oh, it sucks. Like, you're just bored as shit the whole time. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I did not feel like that at all. I was like, whoa. You know, I, I wanted to get out of there when, when my time was up, you know. But I'm also watching people like AMA, like Against Medical mm-hmm. Advice, just dip, like walk out one dude, just like left at one point, like, you know, chugged a couple beers and came back, you know. And they were like, well, I was like, what the fuck? Like, why can he do that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, it's like still a business. It's still... You know, there's still, like, that aspect of it, like, that kind of, like, uh, corporate mentality to medicine, which I don't like. Yeah. Um, of, like, it's a business. Like, the more impatience you have, the more money you're making. And if they leave, then you can get a new one in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, like, that was not my experience, but I saw that side of it. And so I, like, obviously that was only 28 days, but it was the first 28 days, which I think you know i believe and i'm sure science and the study of it say it's pretty pivotal mm-hmm. you know um like and i also went straight back into oxford which i didn't okay. know was going to be an option mm-hmm. um i didn't know because again like i i'd hosed the people i lived with like they gave me a second chance and i didn't even last three weeks mm-hmm. i like came home wasted which is so disrespectful because now other people who are trying to do the same thing i'm doing are like looking at a drunk person in their sober house right like that's so rude I, I hate that I did that. I hate thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave me another chance still. Mm-hmm. Like a third. They saw me at a meeting and they were like, what is up? And I was like so embarrassed and like ashamed and shit. And I was just like, oh my God. And they were like, 
are you at Milam? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, shit. You know, like, Mr. No Impatient for me, dude. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, okay, please, God, stop. Um, <laughs> I hate being wrong, you know. Um, and they were like, one of them, who I, like, you know, really looked up to. He had, like, three or four years. And I knew he'd gotten other people sober. He's, like, like would sponsor and, like, really worked programs and stuff, you know. He was like, uh, you should interview again. And I was like, Really? And I mean, like, I felt like a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, I was like, okay. And so I did. And they voted me back in with a bunch of insane stipulations. Cause if you know anything about Oxford, they have like hella rules. Yeah. Can you explain Oxford <laughs> a little bit for people? The uh, difference, like sober living is different than yes, Oxford. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very different. Um, so there's like there's a shitload of different sober livings. There's like court appointed. I, I can't even fathom how different it is state to state mm-hmm. as well. Um, there's more Oxford houses in Washington than any other state by far. There's so many. Yeah. Um, and Oxford is self-ran. I feel like that's the biggest difference mm-hmm. from like anywhere else. Um, I know Hotel California is a big one up here. Um, but that's more like you, you live like, you know... Um, you live at Hotel California. I, I don't know. I've never been there. But, like, um, people drive you places and shit. Um, to whereas at Oxford, it's kind of like you're left to your own devices, but you are in a outstanding situation compared to where you likely were when, you're, when you were getting high. So, um, you, like, pretty, pretty typical um, is... You know, your first 30 days are on blackout. You can't go anywhere. You have a curfew. Can't do anything. I mean, you can you can go do shit if you want. You can go to meetings. Um, if you want to go to a meeting past your curfew, you have to be with a senior house member. Like, I think these are all pretty mm-hmm. straightforward rules. Uh, we were very militant about these rules, and I think that's another huge reason. Like, the only thing that makes me, like, super emotional about getting sober early on is how important Oxford was. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so grateful for that. Impatient, too, but that was more, like, eye-opening. I was like, oh, like, this, it could be okay. And Oxford was like, it can be great. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have a better life. Um, but uh, the, it was like, there they were no, and, like, every Oxford house is different because they're self-ran. You know, you have, like, chapters, and, like, you go to, like, meetings for, like, regional or whatever i have no idea i you know i would go to chapter meetings and it was a nightmare um they just weren't fun because it was just like you know it, was, it didn't matter it was just like basically like political bullshit i was like well this house does this and mm-hmm. we don't think that's okay and it's like well then don't live there like what are we talking about mm-hmm. um but uh so it, like first 30 days around blackout um every house was different our house was the first year um, you get two overnights a week, whether it's in or out, whether someone's staying there or you're staying somewhere. Um, we did random UAs once a week and we did scheduled UAs once a week. Um, everything was paid for except your food. Um, and like your gas and shit, if you could drive, um, which a lot of people in Oxford can't cause like DUIs and stuff mm-hmm. and just like financial standings. Um, and ours was like, we had eight, we had two double bedrooms five singles and we did couch positions mm-hmm. which were like if someone was super hurting like hey i i i, I want to i don't want to sleep on the street and i'm sober mm-hmm. you know like I, I i have no options i got out of prison three weeks ago i have nowhere to go i just don't want to sleep outside again 
like that was a couch position and we would usually do that week to week but we would hook them up with interviews at other houses who had a, a real opening like a bedroom opening um <clears throat> and it's always really impressed me like the structure of it all like how well it works mm-hmm. like not even just like the rules because a lot of those are the house's standard you know like they can be real real lax like <laughs> real lenient ours was not i thought it had like a good middle ground but um like this this the option for a couch position and like how well connected all the other houses were and how like important it would immediately be if it was like hey we have a couch guy we got to get him somewhere like people would come out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. to find that person a room because i think everyone understood something that i always really admired which is like they want this Mm -hmm. like they want to be sober so bad you know and that was also why i was like a huge dick to people who would break rules Mm mm-hmm Cause I was like, dude, there's somebody who's actually like weeping under a bush in front of a bank because they do not want to sleep outside, but they couldn't find an interview. Mm-hmm. And you're like sitting here, like throwing a little toddler shit fit because you forgot to clean the microwave and we find you $10. Mm-hmm. Like you can leave. Mm-hmm. Cause like that guy wants in. Right. And he's not going to cry about the microwave, mm-hmm. you know? So like everyone has chores. There's tons of rules. You have to do your chores. And there's also like no room for error. I mean, I don't want to say that because that sounds like scary, but like it's very strict. Like if you don't do your chore or whatever, you might get a fine, like 20 bucks. But that hurts if you like don't have a job and shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, like continue to not do your chores, you know, you just it. I don't I think I was just still talking about Oxford. Yeah. Like, just go <laughs> off on something else about Oxford. You know? um, but yeah. Or if you want to ask me something else, whatever you want to do. But there is more to Oxford that I you think can, is can, important. Can you tell us about, like, the positions you can hold in an Oxford? Like, was your Oxford like that where someone is a president, someone's, like, a speaker of the house? Yeah, so um, that's uh, that's not optional. Every Oxford has to have that yeah. because they do report to a chapter, and that chapter reports to I don't know what. I never, ever thought or looked beyond the chapter level, but it's a national organization. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, so usually what we would do is like your first six months, you had to have a position. Mm -hmm. And every, like if you were there for a long time, like I was and a lot of people uh, were, I was there for three years and that was like entirely my decision. I was, to be perfectly honest, I was afraid to leave Mm -hmm. because I saw so many people leave and relapse. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, yeah, there's like uh, treasurer, secretary, president. I don't even know what it's really called because we just called it the chore god. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like the chore guy, the chore daddy. There's lots of fun <laughs> names. Um, but you were in charge of chores. Like, you had to write them every week. You had to make sure they rotated. People weren't doing the same shit twice. And you'd also go around and check them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, it was, so everything was democratic. You vote on any kind of change in the house. Or, like, if someone has to get voted out or voted to stay in because they're, like, breaking rules and shit. Um like I said, uh, if you were like, if you would miss a chore, you would get fined. If you started getting too many fines, we had a pretty good system in place where you like, you got some leniency, but also like, I promise someone wants this more than you and we'll go find them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because they're not going to care about chores and fines. And so if you didn't do a chore, you get put on blackout, which is a nightmare for any adult because it's literally like being grounded by your parents, except mm-hmm. it's not your parents. It's right. like these other sober assholes you live with, you know, it's like so <laughs> insulting, dude, but it is what it is. You know, it's very, it's very humbling is, is like, you know, the outcome. But, um, and then if you violated blackout, our rule was you're gone. Mm-hmm. Like no questions asked. Like this isn't a game. 
like we tell you that you thought it was and now you know because you don't live here Mm -hmm. and i mean people who are like good dudes doing good things you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and we'd have monsters that lived there who were just the rudest most awful disrespectful people but they stayed on top of their shit Hmm. they would do their chores all that good stuff i mean like i i never saw hands get thrown ever it got really close multiple times but like there's this really and again like i i don't know if i had this unique experience and i got a sweet spot because i've heard like not the greatest experiences of oxford i think it's kind of like important to um like if you get into oxford which i would highly 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 recommend more than anything i've ever done more than aa more than anything um because you're in a house with eight to, I don't even know, 15 other people who are doing the exact same thing you're doing. And all those like fears and weird shit that you have about sobriety, they have it too or had it and already worked through it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you move in at the same time as another guy and you're like, dude, this is kind of weird. Like that guy's like, you know, I don't know, just like that guy's like 50 and he like smells hella weird and he says things that I don't like, you know, and it's like other people are like, it could be worse. We mm-hmm. had a guy who was da 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 and we were like, holy shit, that's definitely worse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be grateful instead of bummed because it could be worse, you know, and um, or like coming home from work and you're like, dude, I was I, I was so close to using mm-hmm. like I can't tell you how close I was. And they're like, well, don't you, I mean, like call me I'll pick you up whatever let's go to a meeting I know what that's like but for me and I can't remember if someone told me this or not but I looked up to like a lot of people when I first moved in there because they had like three four five years Mm -hmm. you know and they were nice and like accommodating and like but very real very no nonsense very like down to earth but like just I remember this one dude like literally uh, got a false positive on a UA and I know these two guys have lived together for like four years and the other one was like well see ya bud and I was like what you guys are best friends like why aren't you freaking out and he's like he knows the fucking rules mm-hmm. I was like holy shit dude like that is cutthroat because I mean like they are best friends and it's like well sorry like if 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 you're gonna use and you will not be in my life and i will never second guess it i'll be bummed about it on my own and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll work through it the way i need to but like as far as you living here like you can get the fuck out mm-hmm. which i was like whoa mm-hmm. like nothing is more important to them than like respecting this house right and who lives in it and what the people here are trying to do and i was like holy shit but it was a false positive? Yes, it was. He got <laughs> to stay, good. which is like a very funny thing. Because he was like, I swear to God, you know. And then we're like, do another one. <laughs> um, it's very like Lord of the Flies. Like, get piggy, you know. I will, um, Oxford also has like fun events. I remember yes. one time my brother was like doing this scavenger hunt all across Tacoma. And they were like on the Narrows Bridge doing some weird shit. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> we were, we, we like, um naturally we didn't have and i think this is just sobriety in general didn't have the greatest uh like we wouldn't have the best success with younger people you know Mm -hmm. like under 25 you know some people like one of my uh very good friends who i still live with um was i met him when he was 19 and he lived there and he's like i mean this like totally different story but he after five years decided he wasn't a real alcoholic Mm. and wanted to go find out which is a thing that happens in aa Mm -hmm. they say if you're not sure then 
go for it. Go find out. Go drink again and see how that goes, you know? Um, and I will say that I would agree with him. It's, it's gone well. I don't think he's a real alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I think he had a really hard time and turned to drugs and got a lot of really great tools. And now he can kind of function otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what that looks like in five years. A big thing in Alcoholics Anonymous is yet you're okay. Now nothing's gone wrong yet. Right. You haven't turned back yet. Um, but I mean, do that. Like, and I can't explain to you how much I admired him because he was 19 stayed sober through his 21st like worked the steps and I saw like a lot of the problems he had like anger and like you know like really lashing out like not a lot of like social skills like and I like watched him like get through all that and I was like fuck dude like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Alcoholics Anonymous is insane you know it's just crazy what it can do for people um but we would do fun things. Um, we were like, so the reason I brought all that up is because we were like what I would consider like an older house. Mm -hmm. Like we were usually like 25 to 40, you know, which is old in sobriety because people die, which is really sad, but true. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, or they go to prison, you know. Um, and so we would like, and I will say like, this is like the kind of shit where I was like, God, Oxford's so sick. We're like, we were really good with our money. And we had a lot of turnaround. So, like, because, again, we were, like, pretty cutthroat. Like, we'd kick people out, like, for, like, fucking around, you know? Like, as we should, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. There was other people who would, like, cry when people left. Because they were like, dude, he didn't mean it. He's a good dude. And it's like, well, he can go be a good dude at someone else's house. Because mm -hmm. he wasn't a good dude here. And I agree. I think he's a great person. But he knew what was at stake. And he still chose to break the rules. Mm -hmm. And, again, there is somebody who was, like, homeless and, like, weeping. Because they want to live somewhere. They don't want to get high anymore so bad that they can't stop crying. Mm -hmm. And they want to die because of it. And, like, they can come live here. Mm -hmm. And that guy's, again, like, losing his mind because he broke curfew. Because he, like, had to see his girlfriend. Right. Like, I, I, no one gives a shit. I mean, people give a shit. I didn't give a shit. Um, and uh, so we always had a lot of money. And we watched a lot of other Oxford houses struggle. Where, like, they kept having to borrow from chapter and borrow from whatever's beyond chapter again i can't remember um but so like we'd get like five grand like all the time and then we'd like go buy something like sick we we're like okay we're gonna literally drop like three grand on a tv and we're gonna get the biggest one money can buy right now and we're gonna get a sound bar and then we're gonna have like movie nights which again is like hella corny for like a 28 year old man like myself at the time but i remember being like this is the sickest fucking thing that's ever <laughs> happened to me because you're like dude you were like a drug addict mm -hmm. you know like shit sucked and now there's like all these like like-minded dudes um and they're by the way they're always same sex i didn't say that there's mm -hmm. no such thing as co-ed oxford if they tell you it is it's fake and get the fuck out of there there is one it's not i'm not gonna say it's co-ed but there is one men and children's oxford in lakewood now because that is also very uncommon to see men and children you'll see a lot of women with children mm -hmm. oxfords but there's one in lakewood that my brother's sponsor started three oh, years ago nice that's awesome so not um, co-ed though i wasn't gonna say that yeah <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> We, we were super, super lenient about kids, mm. but like, so like the, I, from what I understand, the Oxford standard is like your kids staying with you isn't overnight. Right. But we were like, well, maybe, maybe a kid's like half an overnight. Cause right. it's your kid. Dude. Yeah. Like we want you to see your kid, but also we're not your babysitters. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like be, be reasonable about it. Like 
you're and also like the kids aren't supposed to be in Oxford because like dude these are drug addicts right and I'm not saying drug addicts are like dangerous around kids but it's maybe not the best environment for them like there's a lot of cussing a lot of talking about like really heavy heavy things that are like honestly talked about pretty lightly in a situation like that because Mm -hmm. again it's very like-minded people like we were we were pretty good about avoiding like using stories and stuff because it can be really triggering like especially for new people and shit but it was also like we, i have the hardest i've ever fucking laughed as other people's using stories where i was like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard in my life mm-hmm. and that is so fucking funny mm-hmm. you know like holy shit dude um, i used to go chill at my brother's oxford house all the time because it's fun right yeah, yeah it's we like went shit. and had a like a i don't know what they called it one Thanksgiving, they called it like a jail Thanksgiving, and we just made all this like jail food for Thanksgiving. Yeah. I went and hung out with all the Oxford dudes. Dude, fucking, and, and like, and I know a lot of people who like spent a lot of time in Oxford. Like, I know, you know, like, uh, fucking Van came and hung with me a couple times while I was there, you know, because I was like, I was embarrassed about it for a while, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like, once I was like in it, and I was like, dude, I have like two years, you know, I was like, whoa, like, because like, you know, Two years ago, Reed didn't think three months was possible. I mean, real sobriety. Because mind you, like, I would string together three, four months, probably like six or seven times in 10 years. And I mean, like, I wasn't getting high, like on dope or opiates or pills. Like, I was smoking weed and drinking, but I was like, I can do anything, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it's like, "Ah, I want to get high for real again. Right. Um, So I would string together like four months of what I deemed sobriety. But I remember constantly thinking, like, this is not possible. It is not possible to get clean for real. Nobody does that. That sounds fucking miserable. That sounds boring. That sounds lame as shit. I don't want to be around someone like that. That sounds whack. What do you even do? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like tons of stigma about addicts. And yeah. I'm an addict. Right. Um, and like, I know how sad I get. And like, I know how like, you know, kind of like whacked out I get about it all. And I'd be like, dude, this is like, this. it's just not possible. And I will tell you that, um, you know, I, I was the president of my Oxford, like almost the entire time I was there, which you're not supposed to do, but I was a tyrant of the highest, you know, form. Like I just, I, I was like, you know, I don't know. It's probably just partly because of the way I am, but I was the president and I would give like this big spiel when we would have new people come in like when we would do interviews because like we never had a cap on interviews so there was nights where we'd literally be interviewing people for four and a half hours wow and i'm talking like 15 people rolling through there are the same fucking questions and like um you know a lot of these people who are doing the interviews with me because everyone who lived there you had to be there for meetings and interviews unless you got excused at least a month out you had to Mm -hmm. because it's important you know um uh like they're like you know i gotta get up for work in four hours and they don't say shit because they like know why it's important Mm -hmm. and they're like there for and there was a lot of people who whined because they had to get up in 12 hours and they wanted to watch a movie before they go to bed you know it's Mm -hmm. like um but i would give this big spiel where i'd be like the number one thing i got from oxford almost immediately and like never let go of is that like you can live a real life if you're sober Mm -hmm. it can be fulfilling you can be grateful you can have like all these things that you think aren't possible and if you don't believe me ask them because they're doing it mm-hmm. like they're doing it right now you know like and i would try not to air people out but i'd be like you know like that dude is institutionalized he's been in prison more than he's been out of it mm-hmm. and he's like stoked on life right and like he has a job and he's out of debt and he doesn't report to po's anymore and he's like really happy mm-hmm. and if you would have met him when he moved in here you would have 
not been thrilled because right. he was a terrifying human being because he's institutionalized, you know? And I don't mean that in like a derogatory sense. It's just, it's what it was. And right. he knew it and we knew it, mm-hmm. you know? So like weird things would like trigger him and stuff. And that's just one example, you know? There's people who are like basically hermits from their use who like hadn't been around people. And they, mm-hmm. like, forgot what it was like to be around another human being, you know? And, like, they somehow found out about Oxford. And we are like, we can, we will ingratiate you, mm-hmm. you know? We will, like, we, we will reintegrate you. Like, mm-hmm. just be nice. Just yeah. be kind. And, like, listen when people talk. And don't assume shit, you know? I think that's, like, huge. Like, ego is obviously huge and like, sobriety and stuff. Um, I've seen it undo many a person. And I've also seen people like kind of like I just feel like such a cheese dick saying this, but like shed their ego mm. um, and like thrive, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, Oxford is like there, there's so much more to it than that. It's so fucking dramatic, dude. It's like being on an episode of Big Brother, except it's your life. <laughs> and it's so whack and it's so entertaining. And it's like it's very much like bubble life, you know, like mm-hmm. your, your world exists in a bubble. Like the girl I was dating, you know, the entire time was like, dude, I, like, I, I fucking hate that you live in Oxford, but this is also so insane and so entertaining. I was like, I know. <laughs> and she's still friends with people I lived with. I, I'm still friends with people that were in my brother's Oxford <laughs> you know and I saying? keep up with them. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, Oh yep, This is what he's doing. Like how you been? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause it's just like, it's, it's a trip, man. Like, and, and they're so different and you get to see him grow mm-hmm. and change. And it's like the most rewarding thing. And you're doing it for yourself. And then you start doing it for other people, you know, like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's insanely fulfilling. Like both like personally and, outwardly because like you don't really have a choice but to help i mean like you would have to try so hard to not be useful to another addict in an oxford house you would basically have to like someone's like hey what's up you have to be like fuck you shut up and if someone heard you do that they'd be like hey what's going on right they wouldn't be like don't say that Mm -hmm. what's up with you Mm -hmm. you know i swear my brother was like the happiest he was when he was in oxford he was surprised yeah I, I literally I'm just like thinking back to it and ever like every time we were over there we were just laughing so hard yeah. being there yeah and too just for anyone who doesn't know that if maybe you have if you're in Washington if you are thinking of someone as you listen to this that is maybe an addict or maybe you're struggling with addiction if you do go into inpatient and you have state insurance there's this amazing thing called the harps grant and it'll pay for the first three months of your Oxford um and it's great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, even if that wasn't like readily available, or you don't know what to do about it, or it sounds obnoxious to work through, usually your Oxford House will will do it for you. Mm-hmm. They'll just get you in touch with the right people if they're not able to do it right then and there, um, and like work that out for you. Like especially if you show like a real desire, where you're like, "Listen, man, like I I'm I have nothing. Like mm-hmm. I'm coming out of this with nothing. Right. You know, like we will work that out." And we also used to like, you know, we would, again, we have these huge house funds. So people are like, I have $150. And it's like, you know, like, uh, well, okay, we'll make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, you have this much time to get us this. Mm -hmm. This has to happen. You have to, we need dates. We need hard dates. But like, we'll we'll make it work so you can be here. Mm Because like nothing is more important than like getting you out of wherever you are. Whether that be literally you i mean we also had a rule that um we used to say you had to have a month clean and then we got real 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 lenient with it Mm -hmm. where it was like just piss clean when you get here Mm -hmm. 
Or if you were super honest and you're like, I'm going to go get high tomorrow if I don't move in today. But you were super honest in your interview because interview questions are heavy. Like it's like, you know, they can be ours mm-hmm. were like everyone's different. There's like a stereotype. You could look them up online. Like I'm sure I still have it saved somewhere <laughs> on my phone. Um, but uh, like our thing was like we literally didn't care what you said. Like I heard people say some of the most awful things I've ever heard a human being say in Oxford interviews. But I was like, dude, they're being honest. Like mm-hmm. that's their reality. Mm-hmm. And all that was our whole thing. Just don't lie. Just don't lie. Just be honest. You know, like. Whatever it may be, you know, like, don't lie about your clean date. Don't lie about, like, you know, because, like, one thing that was important is, be like, you know, do you have any, like, prejudices mm-hmm. or, like, and stuff like that? And they'd be like, oh, hell yeah. And we were like, holy shit, okay, well, um, you can't do that here. Mm-hmm. But if that's something you're willing to work on, you know, we'll work on that with you, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? Because, like, lots of times, like, whether it was, like, uh, you know, like, race or sexual preference or whatever it may be, was already living there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we, we don't discriminate no matter what, you know? And, like, everyone deserves to get sober. Like, mm-hmm. fuck all that. Like, if that was ever... Yeah. I, I never had to deal with that in our house. We were so open. Like, and, like, to me, like, rightfully so, that's how it should be. But I know that there's somewhere there maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, if you ever find that or that, like, deters you in any way, like, don't. Because there's ones that are like mine was, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but... Yeah, it was like, it was, so if that's, you know, like you were saying, like, if that's something that interests you or you think someone might be interested in, like, seriously go look into it. The Oxford Houses in Washington are bountiful and so good. And in my experience, for the most part, like, some have harder times than others, like, staying afloat Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. again, this is, these are self-ran Oxford Houses. These are drug addicts managing accounting books, you know, like, sometimes, like, mistakes get made and stuff and, like, people are in it, but then... As long as everyone's, like, thorough and open and honest, like, with chapter about what's going wrong and what the struggles are, like, you can get loans from, like, the larger, um, like, sects of Oxford to, like, keep you afloat. Like, I watched it happen many times. Mm -hmm. Like, I I would watch houses get two $5,000 loans in the same year Mm -hmm. because, like, you know, like, for whatever, like, someone literally robbed the fund which means they didn't have it set up correctly because, again, like an ode to Oxford because it's just insane to me how well thought out so much of the shit was. Like uh, all our money went into an account that required two signatures from two standing house members as well as a chapter member, Mm. which was like good luck getting three, you know, adults anywhere for the same 15-minute period. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But we would make that shit happen every month. Mm -hmm. Like that is insane, you Mm -hmm. know? And that was the only way you could touch our money. So and like, and they're freaking everywhere. Like yes. you would, you know, once you start, like once you know where Oxford houses are, if if you're a Tacoma listener, again, like I don't know how it's like in other states, but they're freaking on like every single road in Tacoma. I used to walk to my brother's Oxford because we lived so close to each other at a point. But um, but yes, so Reed, we've learned so much. <laughs> I could talk to you for like 10 hours. Yes. <laughs> um, but if there was one other thing we know, you know. No one can get you clean. Yes. And Oxford houses are shit. Yes. But if you had one thing to tell someone, like an overarching, I mm-hmm. don't know. Well, yeah. uh, the the two most important things I've ever learned in sobriety, I guess it's technically three because one's like two parts, um, is 
the difference between shame and guilt mm. and like guilt is I fucked up and shame is I am fucked up mm-hmm. and like shame isn't real mm. like shame is a decision you are not fucked up you made a mistake mm-hmm. and that's guilt and that's okay mm-hmm. like but you are not fucked up yeah you know and like because every addict feels like that and it's mm-hmm. like earth shatter like that ruined me when I learned that I was like oh my god like right. I'm like I'm okay like there's nothing wrong with me I'm mm-hmm. just guilty yeah. and I feel guilty because I did a lot of shitty things you know but like I'm not fucked up and I was like mm. oh, uh, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> dude, that like took my doors off the other most important thing I've ever heard is uh if you lie it immediately becomes part of your future the second you lie, you have to keep it up. You have to defend it. You have to not. You have to keep the lie going. You can't. You can't tell one person one thing and another person another. Like the second you lie, it is part of your future because you have to uphold that lie, right? But if you tell the truth, whatever it's about, it is immediately a part of your past because you can't tell the truth twice. Hmm. So, like that's those are le- like legitimately the two most important things I was ever told in sobriety. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I heard a lot of other really great things. I didn't get sober because of AA. I, 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 I did go to AA. I did work some steps, but I'm not like actively in AA and I don't mm-hmm. sponsor, um, because I didn't finish the steps, but, um, I've been to hundreds of meetings mm-hmm. and I got a lot from it, but I eventually decided that that's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like took a lot of what I learned from there and like applied it. And a lot of what I learned from the people in Oxford who did go to AA and applied it. And a lot of people I just talked to, you know, in like situations like this, you know, or like, you know, people in the field, like just mm-hmm. things I've learned, things I've read, things I've heard. And like, I just kind of like did like an amount, amal- like an amalgamation. But if I didn't live in Oxford, I wouldn't be sober. If I didn't go to inpatient, I wouldn't be sober. And if I didn't go to if I didn't attempt AA, I don't think I'd be sober because I had sponsors and they told me, you know, like life changing things. Like they mm-hmm. told me it was okay to be afraid and like all this stuff. And it's stuff you think you'd know, but like when someone you like respect and admire and per AA, like has what you want, that's how you're supposed to choose a sponsor. Ask someone who has what you want, how they mm-hmm. got it, you know, like whether it's happiness or not being in jail or just like freedom from addiction, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think is like, it sounds corny, but it's exactly what it is. Right. You know, like I don't want to use and that sounded impossible to me. And like now it's not. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's really powerful. I really like the lie thing. Mm -hmm. I really hate lying. So I'm going to like, tattoo that to my forehead now. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, well, Thank you. Like I, I could say like a million things except for thank you for being here and for sharing all of that. Yeah. And I'm so fucking proud of you. Thank Literally. You. I'm so proud of you. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, so for everyone else, thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Facilitating Voices. Stay tuned in weeks to come for discussions surrounding other sensitive issues. These are wild times in which we're living, and I want to continue to highlight the work and experiences of all y'all wonderful folks. And also, if you're struggling with addiction, please feel free to reach out to me to help you get connected to resources. Um, you know, you're not alone, and you deserve to heal. Remember, every person deserves an outlet.